asking what Jesus, what is eternal life? His answer, John 17, 3, is this. And this is eternal life, right? No interpretation necessary. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So people ask Jesus, right? At Jesus talking to the Father in, verse, or in chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, and he defines eternal life as knowing God. Knowing the one true God and the one, and, and the one he sent, Jesus Christ. The word know there in the Greek is gnosko. Gnosko. And it means to, to know especially through personal experience. So this is not a knowing that's cursory or facts-based only. This is not a head knowledge only. This is not informational knowledge of something, right? This is not um, the acknowledgement of a thing or the affirmation that it exists, right? You get on the streets and you ask somebody, do you know God? Well, yeah, I know God. I believe it. I believe that he exists. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a deep personal experience. If you cross-reference and find that same Greek word elsewhere in the scriptures, you find it in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, where it's talking to, about Mary and how the virgin Mary was with child even though she did not know Joseph, her husband, right? There's an intimacy there. That's the know that we're talking about. It's a deep, intimate, personal, experiential knowing. That's what eternal life is per Jesus. So if that is eternal life, then the question turns, how then do we come to know God? So if, that, if I want eternal life, that's what Jesus says it is. How is it that I know him that way? How is it that I can have that personal, experiential, intimate relationship with him? I think the key is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. If you're familiar with that verse, you may be a little bit surprised by me choosing it, but hang with me. Let me make this connection for you, okay? So Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now on the face of it, that may not feel like it directly connects, but I think it does, and here's why. Um, Jesus knew the Father better than anybody else. He knows the Father today better than anyone else. Matter of fact, in John 10.30, Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. Colossians chapter 1 says he's the exact representation of the Father. There's nobody that knows the Father, knows, right? John 17.3, knows the Father better than Jesus. So if Jesus knows the Father better than anyone, and to know God is what eternal life is, it stands to reason it makes sense that the purpose that we find right here in, in uh, Romans 8.29 behind your predestined salvation is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. Conformed into the image is just a fancy way to say become more and more like Jesus. It makes sense that the purpose of your predestined salvation is to become more and more like Jesus because as you become more and more like Jesus... You can then know the Father 
better and better, just like he does, right? So again, um, don't be distracted by the topic of predestination. I know it's a big word that sticks out there. That's another sermon for another time. But um, the point here is just to draw your attention to the purpose behind that predestination, right? The purpose behind why you are a Christian, or at least one of the primary purposes behind why you're a Christian, is to be conformed into the image of the Son. You were saved to become more like Jesus. And as that happens, you get to know the Father more and more. So, let's pull these these two verses together. You were saved... So that, as I've said, you can become more like Jesus. As you're conformed more and more into his image, your walk with the Father begins to look more and more like his walk with the Father. Does that make sense? You gain a a deeper, more intimate, more personal knowing, that personal um, experiential knowing of God, because nobody knows the, the Father better than Jesus. And as you know the Father more, you progress in your walk, what we're talking about, this eternal life. You become more and more mature. You grow deeper and deeper. Another way, if you want, we're talking building blocks here, right? So another way, if you want to stack these blocks together, eternal life is knowing God intimately, personally, and experientially. Jesus knows the Father, experiences that the best. Therefore, it makes sense that Romans 8.29 says that we are saved in order to be more like Jesus, right? So that we too can know the Father all the better. And as we know the Father better, we grow in our faith. So with that as, as a foundation, those two verses together and kind of that thought process put down as a foundation, the question turns then to how it is that we are conformed. So if the, if the key in Romans 8.29 says you were saved in order to be conformed to the image of the Son, how does that happen? Because I want, we should want that. We should want to be conformed into the image of Jesus. <clears throat> well, much like uh, John 17.3, very explicit um, description of how we are conformed, how we become more and more like Jesus, um, just like that, in, in, in 17.3, the explicit description of what eternal life is, we have a very clear answer to our other question in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So 2 Corinthians 3.18, answering the question, how are we conformed into the image of, son, into the, image of the Son? How, are we, how do we become more and more like Jesus? Answer. And we all, Christians... With unveiled face, right? There's nothing between us. There's no sin between us. We're forgiven. The gospel, the blood of Jesus is covering us. So we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So let me read that again, because this is key. That we're trying to answer the question, how do I become more like Jesus? How do I conform all the more into the image of the Son? Answer, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, are being conformed into the same image 
one degree of glory to the next. So according to this verse, Romans 8.29, what we just read, is fulfilled. It's fleshed out as we behold the glory of the Lord. As we focus our attention on the Lord. As we, as we draw our eyes, and not just to the Lord, but specifically to his glory, right? Um, we're transformed all the more into the image of Jesus. And I love the, the last part of this verse. It says, from one degree of glory to the next. It's incremental. We're talking about sanctification, not justification. Justification is when you are an enemy of God, you are now acceptable. You're justified in his eyes. Sanctification is the process by which, after you've been justified, you are sanctified. You are, you are made more and more and more holy. You are made more and more and more like Jesus. That process is incremental, which is why it says that happens. We are transformed into the image of Jesus one degree of glory to the next. Granted, sometimes it's painfully slow, but that's by God's design, right? Uh, and, we, and we welcome it. So, incidentally, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Josh and, and Pastor Reese on the spot. This is the job, okay? This is the job description of a pastor. How does a pastor shepherd? What's his job on a Sunday morning? 2 Corinthians 3.18. Right there. Every pa- the job of a pastor is to, is to do everything that he can to help his people that God has entrusted to him for their growth, health, sanctification to become more like Jesus. And the scriptures are very clear right here. If, if Pastor Josh, Pastor Reese want us to become more like Jesus, they need to put Jesus right in our face. They need to put, dis- they need to put Jesus on display for us every Sunday morning, Right? We need to behold his glory every Sunday. And lest they get all the rap, and I don't, that's my job. When I lead worship up here, I choose the songs that I choose because they're rich with truth. And I need to put the glory of God before you, not just in what we hear, right? They, don't, they, they do it, yes, but I need to do it in what we sing, Right? If I, if I choose songs that are that may be popular or, but are benign and void of anything glorious, I'm doing you a disservice. If, the, if our pastors come up here and hobby horse it or get on some other thing and they're not putting Jesus before you, they are doing you a disservice. If they want, the best thing that I can do for you, the best thing that they can do for you to love you is to put the glory of God right in front of your face. To put Jesus on display right in front of your face. If you're a a parent here today, the most loving thing that you can do for your children is put Jesus in front of their face. Put him there. Help them see the glory of God. Because according to this verse, not my opinion, this verse, that when we do that, you have a friend, right? You have a parent that's not saved and you want to love them. Put Jesus in front of them. Put the glory of God in front of them. It's the best, most loving thing that we can do for them. So I've heard it said this way from a a pastor that I've gleaned a lot from. We become what we behold. We become 
what we behold. And this is true in life, right? Kind of funny, but I'm, I'm sure most of you, or some of you, most of you, probably some of you, probably many of you don't. I love to fish, and I love to make fishing lures. And I have a YouTube channel where I show other people how to make fishing lures. So I watch a lot of YouTube about how to make fishing lures because I love it. And there's one guy that I watch on a regular basis. Granted, I will binge on his content because I just love it. And he's got these mannerisms about himself that if I binge and then I go upstairs and I talk with my family or I talk to the dogs. Oddly enough, it always comes out when I talk to the dogs. But I go and I talk to the dogs and I interact with them. I can hear it. I've picked up his mannerisms. I'm saying things. I'm acting like him. If I try to go make my own video after doing that, it's a disaster because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be him the whole time, right? For those adults or for those parents in the room, is this not true of our children, right? What they behold, what they ingest the most, they are affected by the most because it's true. What we, we become what we behold. So if we want to become more like Jesus, we need to behold Jesus as often as possible. And specifically, in this verse, behold his glory as often as possible. So, if that's true, and I believe it is, what is his glory? Because that's kind of a churchy word. What am I looking for? What is it that, what, what am I supposed to see? That when I see it, miraculously, spiritually, I am conformed more and more into the image of the Son. What is it? Well, glory, glory is, a, is one of those words that's really hard to define. Um, I've heard it said, it's like trying to define beauty. How do you define beauty? You know it when you see it, but to put words to it, they all seem to fall short, right? Um, so this is my best shot. This is my best shot at, at defining the glory of God. What is it that we're supposed to behold, namely the glory of God, and when we do that, we become more and more like Jesus incrementally over time. So God's glory is his, is his set-apartness, his uh, uniqueness. It's his, um, it's his creativity. It's the essence of his character, okay? It's his attributes. It's his wisdom. It's his beauty. How in his creation, what you can see or what we see when we look in other places. His glory is the shining forth of who God is in the deepest ways. When, when, we, when, when his character and everything that makes him set apart God, when that shines forth, that's his glory. Okay? It really reflects, it's, the, it's a display of who he is in all of his perfections. So, our best, we do our best to comprehend his glory, try to get a glimpse of it, because that still feels ethereal, right? How do, what does that look, how do I, how do I get there? Um, we can do that by asking some questions. What does he value? What does God love? What does God hate? God hates. His hatred is different than ours. It's a righteous hatred, right? But he does. There's things that God hates, and there's things that God loves. What are those things? They, they speak to who God is. Um, how does he interact with people? How do we see him interact with people? 
Uh, what does his character look like? What are the choices that he makes, right? How does he express love to people? Sometimes he expresses love to people in tender ways. Sometimes he expresses love to people in tough ways. How does he even define love? Because his definition of love, I guarantee you, is a lot different than cultures. If we were to go to John chapter 8, we would see that his definition of love, right? This is Lazarus. Lazarus is, is, is dying. His sisters send to Jesus, say, Jesus, come and help because we know that you can heal him. We've seen you do it. So please come and help. Chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 4, 5, and 6, right? It's, that lays that out. And in, in verse 5, it says very explicitly, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Do you know what verse 6 starts with? The word so. Based on that love, therefore, so, when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for four more days. He didn't go, you know. His catalytic converters got stolen, right? When the world looks at that and goes, that's not love. That's not love. But God defines it as love. Based on his love for Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus, he made a decision. Based on that love, I'm staying where I am, and I'm not going to go heal him. I'm going to wait until he's dead. Verse 4 tells us why he did that. He says, this, this sickness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. Jesus knew that if I let him die, I'm going to show up there and they're going to behold my glory as I raise him from the dead. And when they behold that glory, I'm loving them. They are going to become more like me. They're going to be able to see something deeper, something more profound, something more intimate about me. And when they do that, that's good for them. Jesus was loving them by not healing Lazarus so that down the road, four days later, he could stand there and they could behold the glory of God. That's a very different understanding of God's economy, of how God works. But it, that's what I'm talking about. We get a little glimpse of that and, and we should step back and say, whoa, like I'm, I'm gazing at this how do I think about love? How do I gauge that? That's just one example. Um, more questions. What are his priorities? What does he think is most ultimate in this world? Whatever he thinks is the most ultimate priority in this world, I should think is, his most, is my highest priority in this world. And if it's not, I'm the one who has to change, not him. Right? What makes him tick? I mean... Why, I, I get at this the best when I ask the question, why? Not just what. What is easy. We can, we can see what God did. We can see what God created. We can see the world, right? We can see a lot of what's. But we, when you ask why God does what he does, why God makes the decisions that he makes, what are the motivations of God that would propel him to make those kind of decisions, now you're getting underneath. Now you're getting to see the person, the glory, as it were, of God. And when we behold that, we become more and more like Jesus. So practically speaking, if that's, if that's the charge, that we need to behold the glory of God on our own here on Sunday mornings and every opportunity that we have, right? Even if you're taking a walk in the woods, 
Behold the glory of God when you're out there, right? Um, Practically speaking, how or where do we do that? How, how does that happen on a very, you know, put the, the cookies on the bottom of the shelf, like practically speaking, how do we do that? Um, well, first of all, before we get into that, I think we need to understand something. Um, this is going to take effort. This is not going to happen on its own. And that's by God's loving design, okay? It takes intent. It takes intentional and it, may, it might not be easy. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee it's not going to be easy, right? But by God's loving design, this is, this is how he has structured for us to become more like Jesus, and is to behold his glory. So just as a, as a um, I don't know if you've seen this verse, but I want to highlight it for you. Hebrews 12, or, uh, yeah, 12, 14 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness... You could say, and to become more like Jesus, right? Strive for that, without which no one will see the Lord. The Greek word for strive there is agonizai. It's where we get the word agonize. It is effort. God is saying, put effort into having peace with everyone, which, hey, that's hard. Um, But put effort into your your sanctification. Put effort into this process by which you become more and more holy. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So let's not pretend like this just happens to us without us putting some effort in. Even as we put effort in, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, when when we do that, we recognize that it's God doing it through us, right? We don't take credit, but we put the effort in. Um, So with that as a backdrop, uh, where exactly do we see him? So we're going to put the effort in. We want to behold him. We want to become more like him by beholding him, beholding his glory in particular. How does that happen? Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to progress in your walk, in your faith, This verse says that that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God, the word of Christ. Galatians 3, uh, 2 2 through 3 and then 5 says this. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you hear what he's saying? You got nobody, nobody here, if you understand the gospel properly, nobody here is saying, I got saved because I worked hard for it. Right? Nobody's saying that. But somehow, somewhere along the way, um, we lose track, right? And he's, he's calling that out. Let me ask you, did you receive the Spirit? Did you get saved by works of the law or by hearing with faith? No, I got saved by hearing the word, the truth and, um, of faith. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? So yeah, that's how you got saved. Are you now being perfected? Are you now 
growing in your faith? Are you now becoming more and more like Jesus? Are you now being transformed into the image of his son by works of the law? Right? Or by, by your flesh? No. He who started the work by the Spirit completes the work by the Spirit. And how does that happen? Hearing with faith. The last three words of our, that text. So, again, how or where do we behold the glory of God? By God's design, we do so, based on these verses, we behold the glory of God. We put God's glory in front of us, in front of our eyes, and especially looking at Jesus in the Scriptures. That's the one place that we have God showing us most fully not only what he has done, but why he has done it. We go to the Word looking for this, right? Let me say it again. We go to the Word intentionally looking for this. Practically speaking, we can and we should. Now, we should pray before you start to read the Scriptures. But what do you pray? Is it just a laundry list of things that I want changed in my life? Right? Or do we go to the Scriptures with the top priority, I want to become more like Jesus, and this is my opportunity this morning to behold the glory of God as it's depicted in the Scriptures. So we pray beforehand, just like Paul prayed for the Ephesians in, in chapter 1, verse 18, that he would open our spiritual eyes that our spiritual eyes would be opened to see the glory of God in the scriptures that we read. That's the, that's the place. Yes, we can take a walk and we can, we, can, we can admire the trees and so forth, right? But that's a conduit. That's a, that's a, that's a stepping stone, right? We don't, we don't appreciate the trees for the trees. We appreciate the God behind the trees. Um, C.S. Lewis was in, a, was in a shed one time. And the door was closed, okay? And there was this little peephole in the top corner. And the sun was bright, and the clouds moved, and this ray of sunshine came through. And he just stepped back. Of course, C.S. Lewis, you know. But, I mean, he's, he's on another plane, right? He's how he thinks. So he's in this dark shed for some reason, and he sees this beam of light. He steps back and goes, wow, that, that light is beautiful, okay? But he, and in a moment, he had a spiritual moment there where he's like, but if I appreciate the beauty of the light, I miss the point. My eyes need to travel up that beam to the source of the light because that's what's truly beautiful, right? Same thing. As we, as we appreciate nature, as we appreciate any number of things in our lives, those things are conduits. That's the beam of light that we travel our eyes up to see what the God behind those things. We behold the glory of the God that would make something like that, right? And as we do that, we grow. Um, in my own time, in my own walk, I was, I'm, I'm reading through the scriptures. I hope you guys are doing the same thing um, in whatever way, using the abide journals or, or in conjunction, however you're doing it. But I came across the story of Mary and Martha, and, uh, and I, was, I was struck by that story. I've read it a million times, and I was struck by that story because and it makes me think of what we're talking about here. Do we come to the scriptures to move through the scriptures so that afterwards we don't feel guilty about not being in the scriptures, right? Or we're so, 
We're so marthed over the things, everything else going on in our lives that we're not coming to the scriptures, praying beforehand that God would open our eyes and, and, and we, we sit there and we savor. We, we read slowly, intentionally looking. We go into it with the intention of seeing Jesus, not just the intention of reading another chapter. Or getting our abide journal done, right? We can't be the Marthas who are doing good things. Reading the Bible is a good thing. We need to be the Mary who lingers, who is sitting at the feet of Jesus and receiving and hearing him and knowing him better, more personally, more intimately, right? Do you approach the scriptures that way? Do you pray before you get into the scriptures that God would open your spiritual eyes so that you can feel it, guys? You can feel it. Feel it. I know God better. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just an ethereal fact. It's I have a relationship with God. We spend time with our spouses and with our kids and with our friends to get to know them. We're not in a hurry. We shouldn't be anyway to rush off to the next thing. We want to, why do you do what you do? And you're trying to pick them apart and understand them and appreciate all of those different things about that person. We need to do that with God. We need to do that with God through the word. We need to behold him in the word. Come in knowing that I'm going to linger here. And if something jumps out, I'm going to stop. And I'm going to let my spirit ruminate on this so that God can speak to me. And he can show me something precious about himself. So, as we we do that... As we see his glory, as we put our eyes on his glory, and then we look at ourselves in light of that, what a juxtaposition, we begin to ask ourselves, like, do I like what he likes? Do I love what God loves, right? Or am I giving into my flesh in some areas of my life? Um, Do I treasure and prioritize the same way that God does? Or do I have idols that are present in my life that I need to take care of? Am I loving people like he loves, right? Am I letting, or am I letting culture or pressure from some other way dictate how I love, even those closest to you? Um, Does my character align with the character that I see here portrayed of God, the character of God that I see portrayed here? And if not, again, I'm the one who needs to change. Maybe I'm justifying or minimizing my sin in some areas. So those are just a couple of questions, but it's that, it's, that, it's that self-reflection when we're faced with the glory of God that helps us know this has got to go. This is, I need to be pruned here. I need to be, this little edge of me as a rock needs to be chipped off because I, when I do that, guess what? I look a little bit more like Jesus, and that's the point. So God is a, uh, is a personal God. I can say with confidence that he desires to know you on a very intimate, personal, experiential level. And that as that happens, and as that becomes more and more real in your life, right? More experiential in your life, your joy will increase no matter What's going on in the rest of your life? That's the only thing that's, that's permanent. That's the only thing. Everything else is temporal, right? 
Your relationship with God is the only thing that is eternal and permanent. So I, 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 I'm going to exhort you, and as I'm exhorting myself, go to the Word every day. But do so with intention. Do so with the desire to be conformed into the image of the Son all the more. Knowing that the way that that happens is by beholding the glory as it's represented. See the, the who this God is that I worship, not just what he has done. So let's, let's put it all together, okay? We all want eternal life. Jesus says eternal life is to know intimately the Father, and nobody knew the Father better than Jesus So it makes sense that he would save us to conform us into the image of Jesus so that we could know the Father better. And God in his design has said, I'm going to accomplish that by putting my glory, specifically Jesus, right in front of you. And as that happens and you see my character and you see who I am and you see why I do the things that I do and my motivations, you're going to be changed more and more into the image of the Son and you're going to get to know me better. And when that happens, you're going to progress. You're going to be sanctified. You're going to be perfected. You're going to, be, you're going to grow in your relationship with God. And inside of that, you're going to find your greatest joy in me. That's the idea, guys. That's the goal. And that's my prayer for not only myself, but also for you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, um, It's been good to be here today, and I've laid a lot out there in a succession of scriptures, but I really believe that it paints a picture of how it is that we grow, and it's so easy to come to the scriptures on a daily basis um, and go through the motions or or, um, just miss it somehow. God, we, take the, we do take the scriptures for granted. Uh, oftentimes, uh, even, even myself, I fall prey to uh, not giving you my first fruits, not giving you, uh, setting aside time in my own heart, in my own life to get into the word. Um, I'm easily distracted when I get into the scriptures, God, because I'm, I'm weak in those areas. Uh, and I just, I just so want to be Mary. I so want to sit at your feet and um, see the, the opportunity to see who you are, the deepest, at the deepest levels, who you are, Jesus, not just what you do or what you say, but who you are as a person. I want to know you better, and I want my, my family and my friends here to know you better, deeper, more personally, intimately, uh, and experientially. So God, I pray that that would be uh, possible, that you would see fit to do that, that we would have a desire to approach the word with intent, that we would be willing to put in effort to do this, that you would open the eyes, open our spiritual eyes so that we could see your glory, God, and that if there is unrepentant sin that that resides, that you would root that out, that you would carve that off, that you would prune us and make us all the more like Jesus, that our character would align with your character all the more. Our priorities would align with your priorities 
all the more. And in, in all that, God, that we would ultimately know you better. That we would have a deeper, more satisfying, more joy-filled, more reverent relationship with you and be a better people for it. Not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of the lost. What a, what a, what a testimony that would be um, to speak to an unbeliever and have that kind of relationship with you. They, they would want that, God. I believe that they would want that. So we just leave this in your hands, God. I pray that you've been pleased and honored in this time. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's close the service. Doxology.